five. Thank you. Um, it's good. You are alive. Celebrate that. We're glad you're with us. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Aaron, and uh, I'm the site lead pastor here. Thrilled you're with us. So last week, uh, I got one other announcement to make. Uh, last week, we were supposed to have what we're calling a family meeting, and I got sick Sunday afternoon, and so we have rescheduled that family meeting to tonight at 6 o'clock here at the church. There is childcare for this uh, event, but this is an opportunity for us. We're just coming upon our year anniversary here in the building, and we want to just celebrate uh, what God has done in this first year, but also look ahead and pray and discern, okay, God, what's your vision for us moving forward? And it's going to be an opportunity for you to have, um, to be a part of that discernment process. So that is tonight, and I want to encourage everybody really strongly to come. And I don't care if this is your first time here, uh, you're welcome. This could be your church, we want to hear, we want you here. And so 6 to 7.30 uh, here tonight at the church, we hope you can make it. But um, thank you for being flexible on that. I don't like to cancel stuff. And I talked to Amy Sunday afternoon, and I was in bed, and I'm like, I don't want to cancel this. I think I should try to give it a go. And the temp my temperature kept going up and up and up, where it might have been entertaining for me to have been up here sort of uh, giving it a go. But I also you know, don't want to get people sick. And so we decided to reschedule it. Um, but man, I, uh, I woke up Monday, and my throat, like it was one of these things where like I could not swallow. I mean, it was painful. And um, I'm like, do I, like, do I have strep throat or something? Like, I haven't had strep throat since I was like, probably high school or maybe. And I didn't even think like adults could get it anymore. I didn't think it was a thing. And I, but I was like, I should just go in and get, get checks. So I went into urgent care Monday morning and um, the nurse comes in and and I'm telling her, you know, how I feel and that sort of thing. And she goes, let me take a look down your throat. And I go, ah, you know, that sort of thing. And she goes, ew, like, <laughs> it was not pretty. And she goes, I think you might have strep. So I'm going to do a throat culture. And um, throat cultures were like, I remember as a kid just being terrified of them. Like, abs anybody else, like, absolutely terrified. Am I the only one who was terrified of throat cultures? Like, I would have rather hung out around clowns than get a throat culture, like, when I was a kid. Like, I just absolutely hated it, dreaded it, um, and super afraid of it. And so when the nurse said to me now, like, oh, I'm going to do a throat culture, and she starts to prep it, I'm like, yeah, I got this. <laughs> Ain't no thing. Like, let's go. Like, I'm going to look my childhood fear right in the eye and go, mm, you want it? Uh, and then she went in for the culture, and it was as bad as it has always been. <laughs> And, I mean, I was literally gagging, like, I, like, ah, like, and she's just still, like, sinisterly just mm, giving it. I go, what, what are you looking for back there? You got it. Get it out. Like, it was, it was as bad as it was when I was six. And there's just some things in life that, like, you know, it just, it hurts every time, but it's worth it because, you know, I ultimately had strep, got on the antibiotics and felt better in a matter of days. Um, but there's things in life that, that just, you know, they don't ever get easier. Um, it's difficult, hard, might hurt, 
Um, but we go through them, and we go, yeah, it was worth it. Like, it was good to have gone through that. I was, last week, I was at Woodridge preaching, and part of my sermon, I was talking about um, uh, cold water exposure, um, and this is kind of like a fad, kind of a thing. Maybe it's not a fad, but it's like a thing. And um, I blame Brian Royal, our worship pastor, because he told me about it. He's like, you got to do it, you know. It's, and I was like, oh. So I've been taking cold showers, like, the last few months. And um, honestly, I like it. It, it. it is awful every single time. Um, <laughs> but when I get out, there's something about, I don't know, the cold water that I feel rejuvenated, energized, and um, so I was like telling this up to, the, to, to Woodridge, to, in my sermon at, at Woodridge, and just kind of talking about it or whatever, and after both, well, I give that sermon three times because they do a Saturday service, like after every time someone came up to me, at least one person's like, yeah, like, they don't work. Cold showers don't work. They don't, you know, do anything for you. I was like, oh, well, okay. She goes, I've done it. And it, you know, it doesn't work. And I was like, oh, cool, and um, good for you. And I'm like thinking, just as they're talking, like, this is what you remembered about, the, like, the last 30 minutes? This is the one thing that stuck out to you in my sermon? The cold water thing? Like, how about Jesus? How about uh, the whole, like, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest? Like, doesn't that sound good? Like, you know, maybe we should focus on that, but no. Oh, the cold water, cold water exposure, very controversial, I guess. I had no idea. Um, but it was interesting because, uh, you know, we live in a world that we just, we love to debate. Um, and I think social media has really um, exasperated this in a profound way over the last number of years. Because it's, it's given us a public square where we can just kind of throw stuff out or respond to stuff, all while at the safety behind a screen. You don't have to look the person in the eye that you might be pushing against. Um, or you don't have to look anybody in the eye when you throw your opinion out into, into the social media uh, world. And, you, you know, it's created a culture um, where we've lost the ability to, I think, respectful public discourse. Um, that is, a, you know, coming into a place where people don't agree and having a civil conversation about it and, and leaving, maybe not on the same page or in agreement with everybody, but not wringing each other's necks. Um, and dare, I might say, having relationship with people that do have differing uh, opinions than you. And I don't, I don't think it's debate or public discourse or protest. Like, any of these things are bad things in and of, in of themselves. In fact, I think they can be good. And it's not something that I am against. But what I am against is how they've become tools for distraction and disunity, that in a lot of ways it's been weaponized against us to create division um, amongst us. I'm against when people debate just for the sake of debating. And I do this. I will admit it. I will stand up here and admit it. I do this to my wife all the time. 
she brings up something, like an opinion on a matter or a side of a matter, and I just go right to the other side just to stir the pot, just because it's fun. And then it's, ah, you always do this. You know, it's just, it's, it's just so like there is a part of us that uh, we sometimes debate just for the sake of debate, just to be on the other side, just to almost be against something. The second is like, I'm not against protest. What I am against is I'm against people protesting without any idea what they're actually protesting. I saw an interview on television um, where there was a massive protest going on and they were interviewing different people and asking just about kind of the heart behind their protest. And literally, this one person going, I don't even know like what I'm protesting. I just heard there's a protest and I jumped in. Because I just want to be, you know, I kind of wanted my voice to be heard. I want to be loud without really knowing what I'm being loud for. And I don't think that that's helpful. And I think, in, in sadly, we, um, we have failed the younger generation in this. That we are failing to show the next generation what does it look like to actually have respectful public discourse. Sadly, we're modeling, I think, us, me, like to our kids, like what it looks like just to give our opinion and the importance of getting your, your opinion, uh, no matter the cost and no matter the, the expense and to fight and to fight and to argue and complain and protest while completely missing out on the heart of matters. completely like missing out on what does it look like to live in the tension of followers of Jesus who care deeply about what Jesus says and what the Bible says and living true like to what the Bible says, but also loving our neighbor. Loving our neighbor who could be very different than us, who can look very different than us, vote very different than us, think very different than us, spend their time very different than us. How do we live in that tension? And I believe the enemy has used all this against the church to keep us distracted from the living God, the moving God who is alive and active and at work and at work and we're just missing out on opportunities to be invited into what God is doing in the world. Because we're too busy dying on hills that ultimately don't matter. I know like a, a family that has not spoken to each other since Donald Trump was elected president. What a tragedy that a family could break because of a, a vote. A family completely destroyed that all, to, to, all along the lines of something that really doesn't matter. And I'm not like, don't get all worked up about not caring, oh, he must not care about politics, the president, da, 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 da. But guess what? They ain't gonna fix it. They ain't gonna fix it. No one running for office is gonna be your savior. There's only one. His name's Jesus. <laughs> okay? And like for families to just be completely busted up because of that stuff is a tragedy. 
And I think it gives no greater um, joy to the enemy to see that stuff happening in our world. There's a story in the book of John, and I've read it, and I've missed this so many times. And this last week, I, I, was, I, I got a devotional speaking into this text, and it just it really moved me, and I want to share some of that with you this morning. But it is, it's essentially Jesus giving an amazing invitation, God doing something in the here, in the now, in the midst of the people, and they completely miss it because they default to debate argument. They miss out on the invitation because they, they default to arguing about things that really, you know, sadly um, didn't matter. It says this in John chapter 7, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. Let me just pause there for a second. Jesus is speaking to this large group of people and he offers an invitation. And the invitation is profound. He says, uh, come to me, Anyone who is thirsty, and he's not saying a literal thirst. What he's talking about is a soul thirst. There are things in us that drive us. There, there's, and, and it's a deeply seated need within our hearts and our souls. Things like wanting to be known, wanting um, to have purpose in life, wanting to feel like my life, our lives are meaningful that they matter, that like I'm doing something with my life. Like those are part of what it means to be human, like to have those desires and those, those, those compulsions. Like that is, that is how you are created and God created you with that. He's not interested in you living a sort of lazy existence or some lackluster middle of the road existence. Like he created you for meaningful and purposeful things. And so we, we, we look to, to satisfy our hearts. And yet we can go to all the wrong places. We go to uh, work, we go to titles, we go to um, things and stuff and money and, and vacations and, and all sorts of different things that we sort of Maybe they do give us a feeling of satisfaction for a while, but they never reach the deepest parts, and they never last long enough. And when Jesus says, if you're thirsty, come to me, and I will give you a drink from the well that never goes dry, he is, in essence, saying, I can, I can satisfy your heart. What an amazing beautiful and powerful invitation. Like, I can meet all the desires of your heart. What a moment. I mean, what if Jesus said, walked in through those back doors and he came up here and he goes, Aaron, get off the stage. I get off. Um, <laughs> and, he, and he invited us. He goes, Highlands, I just, I want you to know if you're thirsty, if your soul longs for something more meaningful, more purposeful, something deeper, if you want real, 
if, if you want to quench that thirst and really quench it, come to me. Come, come. Would not many of us, if not all of us, stand up and come to, come to the front here and receive that? I think we would all say, or most of us would probably say, yeah. It's an amazing invitation. But it's equally amazing the response of the people to this invitation. Listen to what it says. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Because when he brought up water, people began to think, oh, this must be, you know, it reminded them of the story of Moses knocking on the rock and water coming out of the rock. And, and they go, oh, maybe he's a prophet like, like Moses. And, they, and so some people began to go, yes, this man is a prophet. Others said, he is the Messiah. He is the one that we've been waiting for. Still others asked, how can the, well, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Nothing good comes from Galilee, supposedly. Verse 42 says, Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Do you notice anything? Ain't nobody going to Jesus. No one is responding to the invitation. They are what? They are debating. They are arguing over who Jesus might be and what's right, what's theologically correct. And it's sad because it goes on to say, thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. They just left divided. Because they were arguing about things that kept their eyes off of the moment, the opportunity, the invitation. I heard a story this last week of a young man who was about to attend Bible college, and he was concerned because he was concerned about getting caught up in kind of many of the ideological and theological debates that he inevitably knew would meet him at, at Bible college. Debates about the inerrancy of scripture, allegory versus exposition, historical sources of the Bible and the Gospels and, and just all these things. And some of you are like, I don't even know those things. And you're lucky, I guess. Uh, but he was particularly nervous about a debate that was going on really heavily at the time and still goes on today. But that was um, the debate of free will. And you had a group of people on one side, Calvinists, who argued for the meticulous sovereignty of God, the ordering of God in all things. And on the other side, you have the Arminians, who the inclusion of human will and the working out of God's plan in the world. And perplexed, this young man, who's sort of caught in the middle, reaches out to a pastor he deeply respects to weigh in on this issue and the dispute. And the reply he received from this pastor surprised him. It was, he said this, don't waste your time debating these things. Go to your room and meet with God. Confused, it took the young man a few years to really understand the wisdom of this reply. But it really wasn't a surprising answer from the pastor he asked. The pastor's name was A.W. Tozer. Tozer understood what 
that generation and I think what this generation and what the next generation has forgotten, and that is that the goal of life is not being right. The goal of life is not sharing of opinions, but it is the beauty of encounter. We live in a world that demands debate. We debate everything, politics, products, sports, religion, sex, economics, faith. And it seems that we, we look at people purely based on their opinions. And we judge people purely based on their opinions. And really what we're saying is a person is only as good as their opinion. But I think Tozer's wisdom speaks to us loudly today. Though debate might be popular, it's rarely transformative. I mean, has anybody left uh, a raging debate on social media filled with the Holy Spirit? More full of God's love and peace and patience and kindness and generosity? Maybe it's cathartic, but it's rarely productive. And honestly, hardly ever really persuasive and often wasted. I have never met somebody who became a Christian who said, I became a Christian because I lost the argument. Christian I met talked me into it. I debated them and they won. I haven't. Maybe there probably are people that that is part of the story. But most of the time, when I meet people, they go, I had an encounter with God. I saw God. I experienced God. And I realized that he was real. And I wanted to follow him. That's what Tozer is saying, the power of encounter, the beauty of encounter. And yet, so, for so many people, we're lost spending countless hours, enormous amounts of energy on things that ultimately do not matter. When we default to debate, we miss the invitations in our midst. We get so caught up in defending our opinion that we miss out on what God is doing all around us. I mean, Here's the invitation that Jesus gives these people. I mean, what an invitation. I mean, to quench the thirst of the human heart, the fulfillment of all desires, to have a river of life, of water running through the desert of your life. What a moment. What an invitation. What an opportunity. And yet, instead of a response of receiving and reception, and worship, a debate breaks out and division appears. People spend the time arguing over what Jesus said instead of taking him up on his invitation. Opinions were shared about messianic expect expectations, prophetic locations, political agitation. I mean, and all just opinions being thrown out and something tragic happens in the midst of all of this. No one went to Jesus and drank. People got so caught up in sharing their thoughts and trying to be right that they stopped seeking God. They left full of opinion 
and maybe self-justification, but empty of God. A river of information in the midst of spiritual drought, that is a tragedy. And that's what Tozer was saying to that young man. It's not, don't engage in public debate. It's not, don't stand up for what you think is right or be a person of conviction. He's not saying any of that. What he's saying is he's saying, you, people easily start to worship that at the expense of worshiping God. Don't get caught up in distraction and noise. Go to your room and meet with God. Seek the living water. I heard this quote this week. Seek the living water. Stop drinking from the broken cistern of cultural rage. Truth is this. The world doesn't need your opinion. Doesn't need mine. The world is full of opinions. It's not aching for more. It's longing for wonder. It, 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 people, people want something real. We don't need more debate. We need more power. We need more presence of God. We need the next generation of young people to not to fight and bicker like we're so good at. We need them to seek the living God. And I heard Kyla sharing, and I was so moved by it. She was the one sharing about how she went to DTS and, and it was like something stirred in her and God was moving and she started to put into practice daily, she says, seeking him. And what did she say? My faith has skyrocketed. Isn't it a beautiful thing to see that in a young person? And of all the things that can pull young people away, here's a young woman who's seeking God first, who's not getting entangled in all the noise, but makes it a priority to go to her room and seek God. Tozer said this, he says, we might be wise to follow the insight of the enraptured heart rather than the more cautious reasoning of the theological mind. In other words, just because they're smart and they know it and they're biblical and they say all this stuff doesn't mean their heart's been enraptured by the living God. I heard this story um, and the band can make their way up. And it was really moving, and it really challenged me. Because I'm a person who goes, my nights are mine. Get the kids to bed, finally get some me time. And I like to just, like, de-stress. And we all have these coping mechanisms that, you know, we can go to, and it's really, really easy for me just to flip on the television or get on my phone watch something, and um, spend my nights, which turn to weeks and months, years, and then before you know it, your lifetime, of just that's how you spend it, your time. And um, 
I heard this story, Brian and Brody and I were at this conference and this pastor shared this story about this pastor in New York City who's pastoring a small group of people, but he just had a real heart to see God revive the city of New York, a place that historically is not Christian and does not see, uh, you know, God's, the, you know, God's work and rev- through revival. And and um, he was praying about it, and he felt like one night God said to him, give me your nights, and I'll show you what I can do. And I, you know, that's, you start to get that kind of uneasy feeling. Well, those are mine. It's my time. And God's like, give it to me and see what I might do. So he started to give his nights to God instead of, you know, reading or watching television or doing whatever he did in the past to entertain himself or de-stress himself. He went to his room and he got with the living God and the living God met with him. And over a span of weeks, a prayer ministry that he had started that had about six people going, which is pretty good for a prayer event. We get six people to a prayer event, it's pretty good. God sparked something through that pastor that saw a full-out revival break out in New York City where 60,000 people were showing up to this prayer meeting. All because this man said yes to God, I'll give you my nights. And in a matter of weeks, 60,000 people were pursuing the presence of God in a city that doesn't pursue the presence of God. What might God do in and through you if you gave him your nights? Or maybe it's your mornings, or maybe it's your lunches. But what might God do through you if you started to say, enough of the noise, enough of the distraction, enough of the bickering and fighting and arguing and protesting. I'm gonna go to my room and seek the living God. I'm gonna seek him. And I'm going to give him stuff. And it might hurt. It's going to be like getting in the cold shower. It hurts every time. Every time. Doing it for two months hasn't made it any easier. It hurts every time. And saying yes to God and saying no to your your idols might hurt. And it will likely hurt every single time. But then you get in the presence and you experience the power and you go, it's worth it every single time. And what might God do through you? in your life, in your town, in your school, in your family. If God can do it through a pastor in New York City of six, seven people to see him rise up to 60,000 people, what could he do in in and through you? Don't miss out on the invitation. It's he is offering it. He's inviting you into it. Would you stand with me and let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's, we're so distracted. There's so much noise. And we want to be a church. We want to be a people that stands up for what is right. We want to be biblically, uh, God, committed to you and, and your word. At the same time, we want to love our neighbors who are very different than us, who think very different than us, who live different than us, who believe different than us. And living in that space in between is hard and there's a lot of tension 
and it's difficult. And if I'm honest, it's wearisome. But I don't want to miss out on the things that truly matter for the sake of just being right or comfortable. I want experience with the living, powerful God who's inviting us into something bigger and better. So put a conviction in our heart to start saying yes to you, Jesus, to responding to you and your invitations. And let us go to our rooms seeking the living God. Meet us there, Jesus. Change us and use us. Do bigger things than we could ever begin to imagine or ask. We want to see it. We love you. Thanks that you invite us into it. Amen.